I'm Donovan Kane. Welcome back to the podcast and this full-length audiobook presentation of Red Sin, book number one of the Sin series, written by New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal best-selling author Aletha Romig, and read to you by Samantha Prescott and Stephen Dexter. And now, episode 19 of Red Sin. Chapter 19, Julia. After saying goodbye to Paula and Margaret, I wandered around Van's home searching for more mementos, something to make sense of the picture in his office. I'd been through all the possibilities in my head. Van was married at one time. I could live with that fact. After all, he was 41 years old. What I couldn't fathom was why he'd kept his wedding picture up if he was divorced. And then another possibility came to me. Maybe Van was a widower. That would make sense, considering how much of a loner he claimed to be. Even Mr. Fields said Van was a private person. The sun moved closer to the horizon, and still no word from Van. In the library, I'd begun to organize some of the things Van had accumulated. While there were flash drives with folders and folders of documents, it was the old-fashioned paper items, such as older magazines with Donovan Sherman on the cover, that I perused. The headlines caught my attention. Up and coming, man of the year, most eligible bachelor. I checked the dates. The most eligible bachelor magazine was from 10 years ago. If I wasn't feeling young before, I was now. 10 years ago, I was 14, and Van was the most eligible bachelor. I flipped open the cover to the article inside. Staring down at the glossy pages, I compared the man he was then to the one I'd gotten to know now. If I were to be honest, I found him more attractive now. There was a sense of quality to his age. It was probably that unfair issue where men aged gracefully and women just aged. However, as I looked at each picture of Van from a decade before, I believed there was a sadness existing in his green eyes that I didn't see today. Taking that magazine to the lounge chair, I turned on a lamp and began to read. According to the article, the pictures of Van with the other women had been taken over a year before publication. Prior to the article's release date, Donovan Sherman had disappeared from the social circuit. Each picture was captioned with Van's name, the woman's name, the event, and date. The names of the women came from many well-known families, all with socialite names such as Nicole, Lena, Celeste, and more. If Van was a reclusive, eligible bachelor 10 years ago, when did he marry? I went back to my laptop and pulled up his most recent biography. There was the date he was born and his parents' names. Donovan Sherman was born in Austin, Texas to Michael and Eleanor Thomas. I reread the sentence. Why isn't Donovan's last name the same as his father's or his mother's? Another search on my computer told me that there were too many Michael Thomases and Eleanor Thomases in Austin, Texas, to even start to figure out which ones were his parents, if that was even where they still lived. For some reason, Skylar's and my wedding invitations came to mind. I remembered that more than a few of our invitations went to Texas addresses. Closing my eyes, I contemplated going online to our wedding website, 
The thought of pulling the site up and seeing Skylar's and my engagement picture made the brunch Paula had prepared for me percolate in my nearly empty stomach. Another look out the window told me that night had fallen. This time of year, darkness came earlier than when the clock proclaimed it was nighttime. The clock said only 10 until 6. The one place I hadn't looked was Van's bedroom suite or up onto the third floor. Beyond the windows, the lights around the entrance to the house, garages, and driveway had turned on, shining their golden light. As I stepped from the library, I noticed the numerous lights now illuminated throughout the first floor. Hello? I called. The only answer was the echo to my own voice. No doubt there were timers or light sensors. Crossing my arms over my chest, I took my time gazing out through the front windows. With the nightfall, I couldn't see much beyond the snowy yard. However, during the day, I'd noticed how the blanket of white appeared to be covering levels, as if his yard went down level by level until it reached the bay's shore. Unlike the side of the house with all the lights, this side was relatively dark, with only the illumination from the inside polluting the sky. Dimmed by the interior lights, I could see that the sky was peppered with stars, and a low moon shone above some distant trees, giving the entire scene a blue hue. I was about to go into the kitchen to choose which of Paula's dinners we would eat, when I remembered that she said other than the holiday turkey breast, the rest were Mr. Sherman's favorites. Her eyes had glowed with excitement as she mentioned getting different ingredients for the dishes I liked. As I turned on a few more lights, I heard the sound of doors opening. The back entry, or entry from the garage, was similar to the front in that there were two sets of doors. One from the garage to what Margaret called the mudroom, and one from the mudroom to the house. It wasn't unusual in cooler climates for homes to be constructed that way. The middle room basically stopped the cold air from outside or the garage from rushing into the warm house. Despite my recent findings and millions of questions, as the leaded glass French door opened, I couldn't stop my smile. Van must have left his overcoat in the mudroom. I would be hard pressed to answer the question of which Donovan was sexier, the GQ suit wearing man who was stalking toward me, or the mountain man with a tight thermal shirt stretched across his wide chest. Van didn't stop until he had me in his grasp, his arm around my waist, pulling my hips to him. Not a word was spoken as his lips took mine. My questions momentarily disappeared as his fingers splayed behind my head, pushing my face toward his as his lips consumed mine. All the while, the fog of his expensive cologne clouded my senses. It was as his tongue joined the pursuit that I reached for his chest, and my body melted against his, electrified by his touch. My nipples beaded beneath my sweater, and my core twisted. Once our kiss separated, Van's lips turned upward as his green gaze captured mine. I've wanted to do that since I left your suite this morning. I missed you. Is the memoir complete? Did you run out of things to do? I shook my head and took a step back. The memoir is most definitely not complete. It's not started. I'm trying to figure out who you are. 
Something momentarily changed in his smile. I've told you before, don't try. Just write what they want to read. Give them enough that the questions will be satisfied. Talk about what I did to build my businesses and my fortune. Is that who you are? He took a step forward and lifting my chin gave me a soft kiss. I told you, I'm the wolf. What happened around 10 years ago? Van's expression became stoic, statuesque. In my businesses, I'd need to check the timetable. No, with you, he feigned a smile. Come, Julia, can you tell me what happened to you 10 years ago? I thought for a moment. I can tell you exactly what happened. I was a cheerleader in the eighth grade, and Bobby Gerard refused to go to the dance with me because Skylar told everyone I was taken. The same thing happened every year. The redundancy makes it easier to remember. Van shrugged off his suit coat and hung it over the back of one of the breakfast bar high stools. I watched as he loosened his dark blue tie, removed his cufflinks, placing them in his pocket, and rolled up the sleeves of his blue and gray striped shirt. There was something about a man with his sleeves rolled up that made my stomach do a flip-flop. It was probably why so many models wore their shirts that way. As Van finished the sleeves, I licked my dry lips. A smile bloomed on my face as our eyes met. I talked to my father today. Van went to the counter and retrieved the bottle of wine we hadn't finished last night. As he brought two glasses down from the holder over the lighted counter, he sighed. Wade is having problems. I wasn't sure how to tell you. You weren't sure how to tell me that my family's entire destiny will be sold or dissolved if something doesn't happen? He turned, handing me one of the glasses now containing the red wine. It's better you heard it from your father. I swirled the red liquid around the globe of the glass. Why is that better? Because you know what can turn this all around. If I were the one who told you about the plummet of Wade Pharmaceuticals' value, you'd think I planned it to get you to change your answer. My answer to Mary Van. I hadn't thought of that. Did you? No, Julia. My plan was to stop Marlon Butler from selling Wade out from under you and your father. I didn't plan on the devaluation. In hindsight, that was wrong of me. I should have seen it coming. His green orbs came to mine. I suppose for once I was less focused on the business futures and more on a beautiful distraction. Is that what I am, Mr. Sherman, a distraction? He nodded. Yes, I was distracted all damn day thinking about the way you come, the way your body trembles just before your legs stiffen. Thinking about the sweet taste of you and the mark I left on your breast. I reached out and swatted his arm. You did that on purpose? I did. You're too old for things like that. A hearty laugh filled the kitchen. Is there anything about sex with me that makes you think I'm too old? No, but shouldn't you, I don't know, think cakeys are juvenile? Van set his glass on the counter and placing his hand on my waist, effortlessly lifted me to the edge of the granite. Caging me in with his arms, Van leaned forward. No, 
It wasn't juvenile. His forehead came down to mine as his words slowed and his tenor deepened. It was primitive, primal, and animalistic. It was me leaving my mark on you and telling the whole damn world that you're mine. I lifted my lips to his for a chaste kiss. I wasn't upset when I saw it. Good, because you are mine, Julia. I found you. My hands went to his wide shoulders. My dad is worried, Van. Maybe if he knew it was you who bought the stock, if you told the world it was you, maybe that would stop some of the panic by the bank and other investors. His head shook. It wouldn't. Why? You have capital. You could, I don't know, restore Wade, make the balloon payment, or give it financial backing so that it isn't vulnerable. He took a step back and lifted his glass, bringing the rim to his lips. I watched as he swallowed, and the way his Adam's apple bobbed where he'd unbuttoned his shirt. Once he was done, he began. If the media caught wind that I was the buyer, Wade would be lucky to get pennies on the dollar in an offer from any of the bigger pharmaceutical corporations. I told you what I do. You buy and sell. I do. I also destroy. The end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Red Sin, book number one of the Sin series. Written by New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal best-selling author Aletha Romig. And read to you by Samantha Prescott and Stephen Dexter. You can find out more about Aletha Romig and her books at aletharomig.com. Find out more about the show at steamystoriesforwomen.com.